what is consciousness? It's perception. Consciousness is awareness, perception. Admit or face just how dark of a place humanity has come to. And to do so means that the certain influences in the world must be acknowledged. You have to understand the, the, the totality of the big picture, the, the tapestry of all of this information as it pertains to what's going on in the world and how it affects our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And then put it into a format that can be readily understood by other individuals and then share that information with whoever will accept any part of it. With whoever will accept any part of it. Welcome, folks, to the End Evil Podcast. This is Chris Jansen, and evil is the destruction of freedom. This week, I'm going to bring to you um, sort of a mishmash of research I've done. And what happened is, it all started for me about six or seven years ago, and I was looking into the subject of 9-11, September 11th, and I came across this video that was about weather engineering. And it was by a gentleman named Dane Wigington of geoengineeringwatch.org. And um, I want to follow up on the presentation I'm going to show to you today with some more of his work because I think he's one of the best researchers on this subject that I've come across. But today, what I'm going to show you is just like um, a mishmash, really, of research. And I'm not saying you should believe any of the people that are speaking in these videos I'm sharing with you. or um, It's more of just a journey that I went on. I had a recent very interesting um, coincidence where I came across a link to an old website I made six years ago. And that website, I had collected all the links that I'd come across on the subject of weather engineering, chemtrails, geoengineering, and I had put them all in one place. At that time in my life, when I was coming across all that information and trying to share it with people, it was extremely frustrating. And I went through a matrix awakening type experience, realizing just how... Um, people couldn't talk about a difficult subject. And I didn't claim to have all the answers or know for sure, but I was sure curious and other people sure weren't. And that really threw me for a loop. And it made me question a lot of things about reality and dig a lot deeper. And that led me on the path to um, getting back into studying morality to try to understand what's wrong with the world, why people can't see what's going on right around them. So it's been a long journey since then. And so since I started doing the End Evil podcast, I find myself kind of um, looking for ways to get other people interested or bring, bring up um, subjects that people might be interested in. So, um, you know, if, if you're out there and, and I caught your interest for today, that's great. This, this next hour is going to be research that I've compiled. And um, if you're out there on social media, um, feel free to join in the chat. I just got um, Ryan said hi much love from um nc <laughs> north carolina hopefully i'm right about that and um yeah anybody else feel free to get in the chat and make some comments and i'll, I'll just play the chat on the screen as i'm playing these videos and then i'm going to come back next week and we're going to um i'm not sure if we'll do it for sure next week but we're going to follow up on this episode there's going to be a part two maybe part three we'll see Maybe it'll just keep going and going. So if you or somebody out there and you've looked into the subject of weather engineering or chemtrails, um, contact me um, on one of my social media or email. You can look me up on endevil.life. And you can also get yourself a cool shirt like the one I'm wearing. Except yours will be the right way around. <laughs> so yeah, check out endevil.life. And um, I could use um, any help with this podcast to make it better. I'd like this show to to be um, continually improving. So I'm looking for people that are interested in helping with the show or anybody who's interested in making a small donation that will help with tech. And I can um, bring the show even better 
and make it look better and bring you cooler stuff and cooler guests. So um, I'm going to go ahead and move on right now. And um, I'm going to put the music back on just for a minute while I find my next clip that I'm going to share with you guys. And then we'll, um, we'll start watching um, a bunch of research. And, and what's really cool is at the end of all this, what we're going to watch is some videos about people talking about the subjects, weather engineering, geoengineering, chemtrails. And at the end, it's like a, a mashup of some, some of my homemade music kind of behind just like all these weird clips and research. And it's all kind of weaved together. It was something fun I put together, like I said, like six years ago. And I just rediscovered it. And I thought, wow, what a perfect timing because I wanted to talk about this subject anyway. So, yeah, let the show begin. Mm -mm. There it goes. All right. All right, this is one to reading about my struggles. agriculture, and other issues. I hope that you will enjoy the presentation you're about to see, because part of it is my presentation at the United Nations, and you're going to see a segment of this presentation. I talked about geoengineering, weather modification, man-made clouds, and I also spoke about atmospheric heating and testing programs that all are having an impact on agriculture and our local and weather conditions and also the weather conditions around the world. We are modifying our weather in many, many ways. And this conference about climate change has to take into account that we have aviation-induced weather modification as well as weather modification programs that are ongoing. 66 in the United States at this time, and hundreds in other countries as well. 
each of these weather modification programs and experiments changes the global climate as well as local weather conditions. Geoengineering, solar radiation management, has to do with putting particles and chemicals into the atmosphere in order to reduce the amount of direct sunlight reaching the Earth. Under solar radiation management, the production of man-made clouds by aviation, and a lot of military jets in particular, has begun to change our local climate, our local weather, and it has begun to make a direct impact on the amount of direct sunlight reaching the Earth. In so doing, it has reduced the amount of vitamin D we absorb through the skin, increasing the health effects like rickets across the United States and other problems associated with a lack of vitamin D. In addition, we have dropped the amount of photosynthesis available to trees and plants to produce our crops and to grow healthy and strong. With this reduction in photosynthesis, we are imperiling our agriculture crop production. And there have been a number of studies which show that the increasing cloud cover produced by aviation is definitely lowering crop production. Uh, perhaps to both you and Mr. Schaefer, is there any benefit in exploring a potential relationship with the University uh, of Alaska to, to perhaps take over the heart? Thank you, Senator. The Air Force has uh, gotten great value out of HARP in the past. We, uh, we took it over from the Navy and managed it and actually did a number of uh, experiment campaigns up there and uh, have finished our, our work that we're interested in doing up there. We've uh, moving on to other ways of uh, managing the ionosphere, which the HARP was really designed to do, was to inject energy into the ionosphere, be able to actually control it. And, uh, but that work is, has been completed. Uh, the Air Force uh, has maintained the site for other government agencies to use for several years now. And uh, with DARPA completing their project, that's our last government customer that we have in the site. We have uh, put out a call government-wide for other agencies that had interest in, uh, in managing the site or, or taking it over, and including going out to uh, academia and, uh, and seeing if there was any interest there. My name is James Lee. I'm from Sumter, South Carolina. I'm a citizen. Um, why is the EPA claiming that six greenhouse gases emitted from jet planes are a threat to human health under the Clean Air Act while doing nothing to address ongoing lawsuits over leaded aviation gasoline or the real health concerns of stakeholders worldwide? Cancer causing heavy metals and fuels and their additives <clears throat> and aviation induced cloudiness. You, the EPA, claim the authority to regulate aviation emissions under the Clean Air Act, a law that should protect us from the aforementioned poisonous pollution. However, the definition of pollution is being perverted to mean climate change gases in what can only be called a violation of the spirit of the law. Air pollution which may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. That's the quote. As you can see by the wording in the Clean Air Act, lead, barium, aluminum, and trade secret toxic chemicals clearly present a greater danger to public health than greenhouse gases, no matter how much climate science you accumulate. Furthermore, material safety data sheets of aviation fuel and their additives almost always contain the same warning, do not dump in water. Yet, raw fuel dumping or burning these chemicals, dangerous chemicals and then dumping them in water is somehow safe. Finally, despite great efforts to find bioaccumulation or biomagnification studies on precipitated aviation pollutants, none seem to exist. The EPA and Obama administration are ignoring the global outrage over the most visible climate change concern from airplanes, cloud creation. Do a search for the word chemtrails on the internet and you will see millions of concerned citizens who look up and wonder what in the world are they spraying. Despite what you may think of the myriad of maladies attributed to these clouds, the global outrage is nonetheless clear. They are right to be worried, and we should all be concerned. 
The EPA's claim that CO2 is a greater threat to human health than contrails and aviation-induced cloudiness is based on incomplete IPCC data that downplays the effects of contrails on our climate. The IPCC's fourth obesity got into the genome and was passed on to subsequent generations. Okay, and so this is why I care, because my nieces and nephews, my children, are, could potentially marry somebody else's kids who are in a heavily polluted environment, and that change in the genome gets into the June pool. So your grandchildren and great-grandchildren could in fact develop transgenerational epigenetic changes through environmental pollution. And another way, besides greenhouse gases, and I'll keep this brief, there is evidence to show that persistent contrails do in fact warm the Earth. They trap incoming solar radiation and they block outgoing uh, uh, infrared radiation. Pope et al. also concluded aluminum nanoparticles are much more effective than sulfates in a 2010 perspective in nature climate change. The material safety data sheet for nanoparticulate aluminum uh, uh, states it's an irritant to the respiratory system, is implicated in Alzheimer's disease, can cause pulmonary disease, tumors, neoplasms, and, sh and should not be released into the environment without proper governmental permits. Alzheimer's disease rose to the sixth leading cause of death in the United States uh, from the eighth between 1999 and 2013. In 1994, it didn't even make the top 10. Now people in their 20s are showing signs of Alzheimer's. Research shows that aluminum accumulates in the brain, bones, and kidneys, is a neurotoxin, accelerates brain aging, increases oxidative stress and inflammation of the brain, and is seven times more bioavailable when inhaled than when ingested orally. Barium is much deadlier. According to its material safety data sheet, exposure to barium salts can cause pulmonary arrest, vomiting, diarrhea, convulsive tremors, muscular paralysis, shock, convulsions, and sudden cardiac failure. Barium targets the cardiovascular, nervous, gastrointestinal, hematology, respiratory, reproductive, and renal systems, as well as the adrenal glands and liver. It is also an irritant to the skin and should not be released into the environment. In 2011, respiratory failure overtook stroke to become the third leading cause of death in the, in the United States. At a time when smoking was at an all-time low, emission standards on vehicles and power plants were at their strictest, and heavy industry had relocated to China. Hundreds of scientific papers thoroughly proved the toxicity of both aluminum and barium. It would take days to cover a fraction of the proof. According to EPA, particulate pollution can cause early death from heart attacks, stroke, congestive heart failure, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It also causes asthma and inflammation of lung tissue and may cause cancer, reproductive and developmental harm. Particulate pollution can lower life expectancy by one to three years. Water and ice have refractive indices of 1.333 and 1.309 respectively and produce rainbows with an angular radius of 42 degrees centered on the antisolar point. But in recent years, a formerly rare phenomenon has become commonplace, a 21 degree halo completely encircling the sun. Some argue that these halos, or incredibly rare sun dogs, are formed by ice crystals, but nothing can change the refractive index of water and ice, which forms 42 degree halos. Metal salts have a higher refractive index and therefore form much tighter halos. Uh, crystalline aluminum oxide, uh, for example, has a refractive index of 1.762 to 1.778, while barium sulfate has a refractive index of 1.636. My contention that these incredibly rare sun dogs are in fact formed by metal salts with a higher refractive index than water is reinforced by rainwater analysis taken during a 30-day period when I recorded 21 of these halos in uh, March-April 2015. I collected rainwater in clean glass bowls on the roof of my San Francisco apartment building on April 5th, 6,000 miles downwind from the nearest factory, power plant, refinery, freeway, quarry, or mine. I sent it to a NELAP certified lab, and they recorded barium at a staggering 160 micrograms per liter. Less than one gram will kill an adult human. An earlier test of rainwater collected in January 14 recorded aluminum at 190 micrograms per liter. I submit both these uh, rainwater tests to the, for the record. San Francisco's air should be pristine. We get prevailing winds off the Pacific Ocean. Why is it less left to concerned citizens to pay for our own rainwater analysis? And why did, the, why did EPA stop publishing data on airborne aluminum back in 2002?
Let me take this opportunity to formally submit a freedom of information request for EPA to release the historical results of all metal tests in our air and rainwater from the 1980s to present. I have recorded hundreds of time-lapse videos showing the progression of these persistent contrails since 2011. Thousands of others worldwide have also documented the alarming increase of these persistent contrails. Uh, oh, sorry. This directly. Thousands of others worldwide have also documented the alarming increase of these persistent contrails and been met with deafening silence from supposedly green organizations like Greenpeace, who, who are a proud member of the, in the Solar Radiation Management Governance Initiative, and all governmental uh, agencies, including EPA. Your mandate is to protect the environment, especially the air we breathe. I wouldn't expect you to admit the existence of a program as covert as the Manhattan Project, even one blatantly obvious to an increasingly aware and outraged populace. But when a geoengineering program is causing millions of prematures death a year, you must do more than pass the buck back and forth between other three-letter agencies. Do your job. History will judge you on your actions or inaction. Uh, firstly, I would like to thank the organizers for making this hearing possible, to thank the other contributors, and a very big thank you to those that have helped with the vital funding to make my trip possible. My name is Max Bliss. I am no scientist. In fact, I'm a general builder who has worked outside all my life. After moving to the southwest of France in 2009 to a region famed for high sunshine hours and big blue skies, I became increasingly aware of the incredible increase in contrails and associated cloud cover. I began to notice this daily and this greatly troubled me. I started to photograph and film the sky now for four years. Barely a day goes by without seeing various contrails, some thick, spreading, but most alarming is watching spurts within contrails. Some uh, watching and then watching the sky blotted out. Subsequently, I wanted to learn more and became an avid researcher and a passionate environmentalist. I have attended and participated in various high-level climate change and climate engineering conferences. With respect to this hearing on the proposed finding of greenhouse gases from aircraft cause or contribute to air pollution that may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health and welfare, the major component, 95%, of greenhouse gas is water vapour, together with other constituents from exhaust or ejected particulate matter from aircraft form contrails, contrail cirrus, haziness, and cloud blankets, which, eventually, which certainly do affect changes to the weather, altering rainfall, altering temperatures, inducing droughts, reducing frosts, etc., and ultimately affecting climate change. When the planes were grounded following 9-11 and later in the UK in 2010, there were obviously no contrails. The sky cleared of clouds and natural clear blue sky returned, confirming aviation is affecting cloud cover. According to various investigations, such as the 1998 subsonic contrail and clouds effects special study, they have noted that apart from water and CO2, there are metal particles including zinc, aluminium and titanium, also soot, sulfates, etc., found in the exhaust blooms contributing as, nu as nuclei for ice crystals to form contrails. A 2010 study for, Wright, for the Wright-Patterson Air Force Research Laboratory entitled Nano-Sized Aluminium Altered Immune Function opens the abstract of this sentence. On the basis of their uses in jet fuels, munitions, and the most likely scenario for aluminium nanoparticle exposure is inhalation. The UK Civil Aviation Authority responded to the concerns of fume incidents. The 2004 investigation into cabin air quality found that the peak particulate matter found in the air ducts was aluminium. Although the study does hypothesize that this may be from the heated engine lubricating oils contaminating the air supply via the air bleed valve, it is worthy to note that 50% of the cabin air comes from the atmosphere, and as planes often fly through contrails or the aerosols left by other planes, I feel investigation into the presence of nanoparticles in the troposphere from planes, although very difficult, must be initiated as soon as possible. Many hundreds of pilots and frequent flyers report debilitating illnesses linked to cabin air. Please refer to aerotoxic syndrome. 
There are many new studies emerging on the links with aluminium and Alzheimer's dementia and various other ser serious ailments in humans, animals, whales, fish, and even bees. Plants, trees, and all life is affected by aluminium toxicity. Recently, the media has announced that one in three seniors will die with Alzheimer's. It just becomes clearer with research that nanoparticles may already be in jet fuels and are certainly planned for implementation in the near future and also, for that matter, in biodiesel. Aluminium oxide not only has potential negative health impacts, it is also known to contribute to making clouds as it is used in tracer rockets for NASA. Aluminium oxide has been suggested by geoengineers for solar radiation management but is known to damage the ozone. Aluminium is acacian and is mentioned in weather modification patents, although there are hundreds of weather modification patents using various methods and ingredients. In a 1956 US patent 2756097 for weather control, the author states, we have discovered that quantities of very dry superheated water vapor will disturb the thermal and electrical balances of cloud formation, causing dissipation or precipitation. We accomplished this process of our invention by injecting water or water solutions of ionic salts into heated exhaust gases of a power plant such as internal combustion engine, jet engine and the like. Through investigation into the huge disturbing increases in contrails, associated cow covers and changes to the weather, one will be left wondering if this indeed is intentional or deliberate as the extra contrails and cloud generation is excessive in correlation with the increase in growing aviation use. I have taken pictures of nozzles in line with the engines on pylons. These are described as oil drain masks, but some patents of similar nozzles state other material can be evacuated from them. Even if oil was leaked out into the hot exhaust plume, smoke would be generated and smoke is used for cloud seeding for weather modification. A 1970 paper by Wallace B. McRae on the possibility of weather modification by aircraft contrails, he describes how the ice crystals formed in contrails effectively can seed cloud decks below as ice crystals survive falling to lower cloud deck altitudes, increasing cloud cover as effectively as dry ice cloud seeding. McRae writes, possible consequences of this are considerable. In fact, it seems probable that one of the projects for modifying the global climate discussed by Fletcher in 1965, namely modification of cloud cover over the North Polar Basin by cloud seeding, is already underway. Up until the mid-1970s, documents suggest the establishment desire was to intentionally melt the Arctic sea ice, to free up shipping lanes, access rich resources, and open up vast regions of ice-locked land. And adversely, climate changes could likely be blamed on the anthropogenic global warming to instigate the beginning of global governance through United Nations Agenda 21 Sustainable Development Program to create the new world order. Interestingly, when one begins to research the history of weather and climate modification, it is surprising how far up the power structure the desire for developing a large-scale weather and climate modification program was, from Presidents Eisenhower, JFK, Johnson, onwards and onwards, with a high priority put on these possibilities. The Johnson administration was using weather modification for geopolitical leverage with India and Pakistan in 1967. Would we be naive to think that the interest just went away because of the NMOD treaty? Look up owning the weather 2025. In conclusion, pollutants from aircraft that need prohibition such as sulfates or the use of any nanoparticles that which can travel via the air from a source of combustion into life organisms is causing serious negative health impacts to many forms of life. This needs to be tightly regulated and ultimately stopped. The notion that the climate science is settled is often repeated over and over by interested stakeholders such as those looking for lucrative funding in the burgeoning climate change arena, be it academics, politicians or entrepreneurs looking for success or to get rich or more darkly hoping to implement a one world government system. Climate has always had natural variability and weather extremes. However, these days, some weather extremes can be stimulated with technology. It is, appropriate, is it appropriate to reassess the anthropogenic global warming theory and replace it with climate change is man-made? 
by using covert weather and climate modification technology known as geoengineering for geopolitical ends. We do not need to be scientists to observe the sky and see the obvious negative effects aviation is having and research the spiraling health impacts. Just start looking up and wake up. We do not consent to the use of weather and climate modification. Our next speaker is someone who could tell you firsthand about geoengineering. Her name is Kristen Megan, and it's taken her a lot of guts to come here and speak what she has to say. So give her a big hand. This presentation has been brought to you by Gigi Bowman for State Senate and Oath Keepers. All right, first off, I just want to, I know everyone else has said it, but I really appreciate everybody that has come out here today. It's not just showing up and supporting an event, it's actually listening to those of us who here are here to share a message. So as it was presented to you, I'm here to speak to you about geoengineering. First thing I want to ask you is, who doesn't believe it exists? Anybody here on the fence? Okay. Well, hopefully when you leave here today, you don't just believe it. You share the information that I'm going to share with you, and you get more people on board to stop this ethical crime, unethical crime. I want to show you a video clip because the first thing people ask me about geoengineering is, who are these people? Who are the people that are, you know, kind of pushing the button to get this thing going? One of them, his name is David Keith. And David Keith has been low in the radar for a while. But he has written a book about climate engineering that has basically done more for the truth movement of this than anything. Because he is the frontline person that is the number one advocate for geoengineering. And I want to show you a clip. It's about six minutes, so just bear with me. You ever look those planes up there that have contrails on them? Maybe all those planes are the contrails. Maybe they're actually spraying chemicals into the atmosphere right now, and Uncle Sam isn't telling us. Seems extremely unlikely. The that fact that the United government... States is not telling something to its citizens, that seems extremely likely to me. Uh, and, of course, there are a lot of problems with what they're proposing. It, it turns out plants need uh, sun, sunlight. Yes. Have you gotten some, some grief for suggesting this? Sure. I mean, this is like writing a book as the case for leprosy. Well, first of all, let me ask you this question, because there, there, there's a rumor, I don't know if this is true or not, that some scientists are trying to figure out a way to block the sun <laughs> to try to, to slow yeah. down global warming. Could an individual start this? In practice, only a country. A okay. Big country. What about a man in like a hollowed out volcano <laughs> with henchmen who occasionally shakes his fist at the sky and says, they said I was a fool at Harvard. Who's the fool now? It's all things considered from NPR West. I'm Arun Roth. If scientists get the calculations wrong, it could be catastrophic for life on Earth. Or what if the technology got into the wrong hands? Couldn't someone shoot poison into the atmosphere? So people are terrified about talking about this because uh -huh. they're scared that it will prevent us cutting emissions. Right, and also that it's sulfuric acid. <laughs> it is. You're bearing the lead. Is there any possible way this could come back to bite us in the ass? Uh, you know, you put a, another kind of pollution, sulfur dioxide, up to orbit the cover the atmosphere. The sky won't be really blue in the way it is now anymore. Blanketing the earth in sulfuric acid, because I'm all for it. This is the all-chocolate dinner. I still get to have my CO2, and I just need to spray sulfuric acid. Right? All over the earth. Right? But we put 50 million tons of sulfuric acid in the air now as pollution, and it kills a million people a year worldwide. Okay, and that's and so good or bad? It's terrible. <laughs> but it'll be better if we put more in. So, so if pollution. it kills a million people, and it's we're only bad. doing 1% more, we're just killing 10,000 more people. You can do math. So killing people is not the objective here. <laughs> killing people, not the objective. objective I just objective wanted to be clear. I just wanted to be clear. Because some very mainstream scientists are saying that the climate change situation is so bad that saving life as we know it might require something radical, like shooting chemicals into the stratosphere to reflect sunlight. This is the kind of stuff I wake up sweating about, exactly. Well, it's your goddamn idea. <laughs> 
No, it actually turns out to be an old idea. This really? was known since President Johnson, and the scientific community mostly decided not to talk about it. It, it, it. What happens to the sulfuric acid after it's sprayed? Does it just stay up there? No, it rains down. Okay. But, it, but as I said, <laughs> it rains down. Okay, okay. It's a tiny addition. Okay. And you put... You put, say, 20,000 tons of sulfuric acid uh -huh. into the stratosphere every year, uh -huh. and each year you have to put a little more, mm -hmm. and this doesn't, in the long run, mean that you can forget about cutting emissions. We will need to rein in. No, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. But it does. In the meantime, we're shrouding the earth in sulfuric acid. It is that you could actually spray sulfuric acid in the stratosphere, 20 kilometers over our head, and use that to stop the planet warming up in a okay, kind wait, of ugly you, tech fix. You could, you could spray something into the atmosphere to yes. change okay spray okay. pollution into the atmosphere to stop it warming so in the end pollution saves them all <laughs> we owe pollution we owe acid rain an apology it is what you're saying a totally imperfect technical fix okay it would have risks it wouldn't get us out of the long-run need to stop polluting but it might actually save people and be useful sky won't be really blue in the way it is now anymore. The chemtrails are being used in conjunction with heart by spraying metal oxides into the air above enemy skies, then directing ELF waves from heart to heat those metal oxides. The temperature of the sky is raised to more than 100 degrees Fahrenheit preventing the accumulation of water vapor that would otherwise form clouds and produce rainfall. So I wanted you to see that video because I wanted you to have a face for somebody who's actually out there violating the ethics of their job to promote geoengineering. I'm going to talk about geoengineering, but I want to share a story with you. Every time I'm asked to speak, I, I'm a, I public speak for a living. Um, I'll go into that, but I don't get nervous to speak to you. What I get nervous about is not getting emotional telling you my story. Because in 2002, shortly after 9-11, like a lot of military veterans, I raised my right hand and I took an oath to the Constitution to hopefully do something meaningful with my life, you know, 19 years old, unsure what I wanted to do. So I enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. My job in the U.S. Air Force was working in bioenvironmental engineering. So what bioenvironmental engineering is in the Air Force is equivalent to that of the OSHA and the EPA, if you're familiar with that. So we were an embedded liaison to make sure that we were tracking all of the aspects and impacts of the military, meaning what is the military doing and how is it impacting the environment because we were accountable for that. Being government, we did not get any special treatment. We just couldn't be fined being another federal agency. EPA can't, but not OSHA. So from the health side, it was knowing what you do in the Air Force. What does your job entail that is hazardous to your health? And I'm going to give you an example. Let's say that you were an aircraft painter. You were a mechanic. My job would go out to make sure I knew everything that you did, what you were exposed to, and how to mitigate and engineer out those hazards. Because we needed to, one, it, it's your legal right to be working in a safe and healthful work environment. So throughout nine years, I worked as an industrial hygienist and an environmental specialist. One of, actually, there's two bases I was at that are called air logistics centers. What does that mean? It's not like a fighter wing, you know, it's not really fun and amazing. What they did is they took aircraft that around every 10 to 15 years, they were required to be dismantled down to the last screw. So that meant every single industrial process you can think about checking the metal integrity, making sure everything's good to go or sometimes overhauling equipment. Part of my job in tracking the health hazards was to look at any time someone wanted to buy a chemical, any type of chemical. It was ordered through a system, and in that system, I had to go in there and say, you know, the country we're in, we're not allowed to use this. We need to substitute it out with something a little less hazardous, while also maintaining the integrity for a technical order, meaning for that process, it says you must use you know, xylene or toluene to do this process. Well, I have to kind of fast forward. I want to say around 2006, I started kind of opening my eyes to how the military wasn't really what I thought it was. And people approached me knowing what I did for a living and said, have you ever heard of chemtrails? Well, I hadn't. And that sparked my interest. So I went online and I looked at chemtrails. 
I saw a lot of, you know, debunking, a lot of sites that were just kind of calling it a conspiracy theory. And I thought, well, geez, this is what I do for a living. Preventive health, making sure that people are not getting sick, especially in the workplace, and by things that we're doing that can affect, you know, human health and the environment. To summarize it, in an attempt to debunk this conspiracy theory as I thought it was, I didn't debunk it. It literally changed my life. Um, like I said, this is hard for me because it's not easy standing here and telling my story. One day I was going through that computer system, which if you want to look it up, it's called an Air Force Form 3952. It is the approval of ha hazardous materials. I was finding tons and tons of large quantities of aluminum, barium, strontium in the forms of oxides and sulfates. And of course I knew that there's industrial processes you may not have heard of, but it's bead blasting, pneumatic sanding, shot peening. There is certain medias that's similar to that that is used. However, I had already accounted for that. I would sit and look at this computer system and say, this shop wants to order this paint. I'm gonna tie it to a task. We had to know what was being used, why it was being used, tracking it cradle to grave on how we were gonna dispose of it to be compliant with OSHA and the EPA. One of the legal requirements in approving these is looking at what used to be called a material safety data sheet. On that sheet, it's gonna list the manufacturer. It's gonna list some maybe acquired personal protective equipment that needs to be used or some ways to mitigate the exposures. These electronic MSDSs, did not have a manufacturer name. They were very vague. They almost looked to me like somebody had made it and scanned it into the system. So I asked the question, what is this being used for? I never got an answer, so I didn't approve it. And it sat there. And then the heat came down. Why aren't you, are you behind on your 3952s? Only a select few of us did that. So I started asking questions. And at that point, my demonization began. You know, I, I made my rank, I was decorated, I was a non-commissioned officer of the quarter, I won lots of awards, I had no reason for anyone to attempt to demonize me. So then I get moved over to the other Air Logistics Center, there's only two in the Air Force, which is in Warner Robins, Georgia. This kind of carried with me, and I thought, you know what? Should I revisit this? Is it worth it? Did I hit something? Maybe it's need to know. I started finding the same things at Robbins Air Force Base. I was now doing some more investigation work. Part of what I did was to use a high volume air sampler to air sample um, up to, I'd say, a football field in about 10 minutes. I also conducted soil sampling because I thought, you know, if, if this is real and they are spraying this, it's gonna to get to the ground. So I conducted air sampling, I conducted soil sampling, and I was getting high levels of these contaminants. When I started asking the question again under a new commander, I never in my life thought I would have somebody look me in the face and tell me, I am questioning you. Is there something wrong with you? You've been looking really depressed lately. You know I can put you under mental evaluation for a, up to 120 days. Who would take care of your daughter? Because I was divorced at the time. As soon as I heard that, I knew. It validated everything I ever thought. And I thought, I have spent nine years of my life trying to protect human health, and here we are violating law after law after law. Just sitting here, instead of protecting, the people, we are poisoning the people. And I've never got up so much courage from that fear of being thrown in a cage because when you're in the military, folks, you're a number. You are a number and every aspect of your life is controlled. I was so lucky that my enlistment was coming up and I was supposed to re-enlist. I ran and did not look back and I have been blowing the whistle and shouting ever since. And I left October 27th. 2010. Thank you. It didn't just end there, though. You got to remember, there's a whole career field of people that work in bioenvironmental engineering. A lot of those people were told, do not talk to me. 
Do not talk to her, do not email her. They were given no contact orders. Because my biggest thing was, if I'm just so you know, dishonest, don't you think somebody would come out and say, you know, she was never in the military or something negative to discredit me. They've ignored me, but they've tried to silence me. Every time I fly, I am pulled into a secret room. I, I literally am tagged in the system for the TSA. It is difficult. As an industrial hygienist, I do very well for myself, but it has been so difficult after leaving the federal government to maintain employment. Nowadays, everyone runs background checks on you, and the first thing they look at is, wow, here's a whistleblower. And you ask yourself, if this is true and we are spraying the people, where are the pilots? Where are the people? I don't know if you pay attention, but look at Snowden. Look at, look at Manning. People don't come forward because these supposed Whistleblower Act protections that you have are not enforced, they're not supported, and they really don't exist. But what I want you to take from this is to understand that I am being completely honest with you and that geoengineering is occurring, it's been occurring, it is not new, and your tax dollars are funding this. I 100% know that the U.S. Air Force was involved and it kind of I think back to all these things that I never had noticed. You don't, if you don't know what to look for, you can't look for something. And once I realized a process they were trying to hide, people have come out of the woodworks, from EPA compliance officers to ex-people that I worked with in my career field. Well, I cannot state for obvious reasons. I've had pilots come forward. I've had people come forward that actually load the canisters on the planes. These people don't come forward because they are afraid that they're going to end up like Snowden. And I continue to speak to let people know I've been screaming about this for three years and I'm still here. And why are you so afraid? Because many of these people are on active duty. And if you are willing to die for your country, supporting you know, the Constitution and defending us from enemies foreign and domestic, you are willing to die for your country, but now you're scared. You are scared and cowardly to talk about this. So I'm not just speaking to all of you in this room, I'm speaking to all those people that are gonna watch this online and watch it on YouTube. Because you can come forward, you can help expose this, and we can stop it. So many people wanna ask why, why is this occurring? That's for later thought. From weather modification to weather weaponry, there, there's numerous reasons under Agenda 21 and tons of theories. But my job as an industrial hygienist is to make sure that I comply with the laws and enforce them. So it is unethical every day for all the other people that are out there that work in preventive health or even physicians that aren't speaking about this, they need to. So one thing I want to tell you is what you can do about it. The biggest hurdle that we have is disinformation sites. I never say them, but I'm going to today so that you know if anyone ever gives these to you as a reference to debunk you, it's Metabunk and Contrail Science. Those are two websites that are ran by a government shill named Mick West. And he is a computer gaming programmer who tries to tell you about persistent contrails. So somebody who isn't even credentialed in chemistry or physics or ecology, none of that, is trying to tell you that you're crazy, okay? So also on social media, don't just hit the share button. There are links. You have to understand that I have met people who used to be purposeful disinformation trolls, as we call them. These people are paid to pretend that they're you, to get you on board to believe a website or an article, just so that you look so vulnerable. And then later it will be deemed non-credible, and then you look non-credible. So please vet research. And if you have something to write with, I want you to take down my email. It is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N, at gmail.com. And by emailing me, I can give you some information for what I'm about to tell you. If you still don't believe it, or you still want to convince people, there's something you can do. You can take a glass jar. It needs to be a glass jar, so there's no BPAs. Take a rain sample and take a snow sample. I tried to disencourage the soil sampling because everyone's background of where you live is different. Because a lot of the materials that are used in geoengineering are natural occurring in Earth, just not in the industrialized form that they are used.
So if you take these rain samples and you take the snow samples, email me because I cannot publicly tell you where to send them because we've actually been blackballed by labs who refuse to run our samples. And a problem that is occurring is people are sending in rain samples to labs that don't realize how low the limit of detection needs to be because these are nanoparticulates. They are very small. So if you email me, I can tell you where to send in your samples and it's only around $50. That may be tough on some people, but it's way cheaper than maybe what you assumed. So I just want everyone to know and understand that of all things, of all the freedoms that we are losing, geoengineering is the number one issue that we are facing because you can have guns and money and you can have everything. If you don't have food and water and you are dying of respiratory or neurological illnesses, what does it matter? So you've heard about vaccines and you'll hear you know, about smart meters and you'll hear about other issues like fracking. These are all systemic effects. We are getting overexposed to toxins. People will tell you fluoride's in the water, but it's not a lot. It is a lot because you're getting it everywhere in your food, you know, water that you drink. Everything is, excuse me, is washed with that water. And you're getting your vaccines. All this, it's a coupled systemic effect and our bodies cannot metabolize these toxins. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my story. And I will continue to shout from the rooftops. I don't care how many jobs I lose. I don't care how many friends or family I lose. Because I took an oath. And in nine years, I was not able to honor that oath. But I am today. number of years to gain control of the weather, you know, in areas of drought. How on earth could you get sulfur tens of kilometers high into the atmosphere? The kind of thing that would be needed simply to do this is actually quite what they almost call commercial off the shelf. It's something that they could quite easily engineer with no massive leap. So whereas if you ask them to build a supersonic transport or a Mach 6 aircraft, they really don't know how to do it. This could be done with a pretty simple modifications of existing business jets can, uh, uh, in a cost-effective way, get materials up to the required altitude. So how would you how would you feasibly take the sulfates and inject them into the stratosphere? 20 kilometers, are we talking? How, how high? 20 is a reasonable altitude, and the answer is modified versions of uh, commercial business jets with uh, different engines will do that. We worked with an aerospace firm that did a design study. From their point of view, this was not on the hard end of what companies do. Very few people that have a probing type of mind that want to dig into a very difficult subject. So instead they choose a dismissive stance, either I don't believe it or, well, it could be, but it's not my problem. Well, I'm here to point out that it is your problem if you're being poisoned from the sky. You know, like a rat. Yep. We've been trying for a number of years. The question that came to my mind immediately, what, what is a persistent cold trail? Is that based on its legs, and sometimes the report says between 20 to 30 miles. Um, Contrails are a difficult phenomenon. We saw that from the previous speaker as well. Um, we don't really know that much about them, at least not in the open debate. So we know they depend on temperature. We've been trying for a number of years to gain control of the weather, you know, in areas of drought, trying to, you know, development of cloud seeding, doing everything we can to master our elements, to master this planet. Um, 
Exhaust aerosols are nuclei, we saw that already, for water to form ice crystal. And they create the visibility of the trail. So that's the ice crystal. And if you can steer and manipulate these, this type of radiation, these type of electromagnetic waves, then you can steer and manipulate well. In the natural uh, circumstances. And we can see that especially over Europe and the United States, these man-made serious patterns are seriously... Look, whenever you heat a part of the atmosphere, you're controlling the weather in that part of the discussion reports, and um, usually they, the discussion goes towards that serious is quite negative for climate. These two guys, Whiteleg and, uh, and Cambridge uh, of the Stockholm Environmental Institute, state that in general aviation poses a threat to several stakeholders on a global chain, uh, scale, affecting the whole ecosystem and regional and local and community and personal scale. So it affects basically everyone on this planet and also all ecosystems. So they say it's quite an important issue and we should deal with it. It's highly toxic rain, period, extremely toxic and uh, so much so it's so much metal has built up in our soils here, Kim, that it's actually changed the forest floor pH. That takes a tremendous amount of metal. When I travel, like for example, I was in Europe last year. I was in the south of France, I was in Switzerland, and I was in England. And at every location, even places I thought it would never be happening, they were spraying the air, there were planes everywhere. Now, some people will say, look, that is a contrail. They're not planes that are meant for just spraying only. But when I've traveled, Dane, in an airplane, I never see trails coming out of the plane. How come that is? Well, most people spring, at this point don't know spring, what a natural cloud is from an aerosol spring, cloud. They don't know the difference. Because the aerosol clouds or, or the created clouds are in everything. They're in advertisements. They're, they put them in kids' animated films, literally, over the hedge. The Disney films, Cars, they have these these trails in the films to try to condition the kids early on so that the power... Spraying any kind of toxic material into the sky, we as the public should definitely be aware of it for one. Or at least, at least, at the very least, it needs to be known. Really start noticing what's going on and talking to people about it is that people don't want to talk about it or more often than don't want to talk about it are just very dismissive of the subject as if it's non-important. And so the point of this video that I wanted to make is to show that it is important and it you should watch what's going on in your own To do something, surely we've got to do something. To do something, surely we've got to do something. To do something, surely we've got to do something. Mild-mannered research project occurring in the last. Um, first off, that for the government dealing with anything else but climate engineering, you can't separate issues. We can't think in terms of this or that. It's all connected. The more we understand the mosaic more clearly we will see the image it presents to us. So geopolitical events are connected to climate engineering, very directly so. And that's why I spend so much time studying those events as well, because they are a part of the picture. You can't see the whole picture unless you have all the pieces to the puzzle. It's imperative. Spend the kind of money it's spent to keep this project going for the number of years it's kept it going there's something here and they believe there's something here and there there's enough evidence for them to continue to invest that they can develop technologies that can really poisonous worldview and way of being and way of living in the world have propagated it unwaveringly through their voice they have continuously put out and reinforced this message of deceit and harness this ability whether it's to make life better, I don't know. More than likely, it would seem to make sense that this is probably a weaponized experiment. When you it's consider who to is combat that with the voice of truth. What are we supposed to do? And what I would say, 
you have to understand the, the, the totality of the big picture, the, the tapestry of all of this information as it pertains to what's going on in the world and how it affects our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And then put it, put it into a format that can be readily understood by other individuals and then share that information with whoever will accept any part of it. That's what there is to do. Don't keep taking in info, but then d disseminate it as well. Use our voice and our will. Funded and invested in this, in this uh, program. Talking about the Air Force, the Navy, the Defense Advanced Research Project.